y'all. How you doing? Well, good. All right. I want to tell you guys a story. When I was um, 12-ish years old, see, 12 or 13, um, I went skiing for the very first time. And uh, I went with my youth group, and we went to Perfect North. You guys know what that place is? Anyone, anyone been there? Perfect North, ski slope. All right, we got one hand here. All right, so... So this, it's a it's a it's a ski. I don't think it's a resort, but it's just a ski mountain hill, artificial. And I went with my youth group, so uh, it was my very first time. And uh, so what they do is when you get there, they have these things called the bunny slopes, where you can go learn how to ski. And, and the slope is not very steep at all, so you can go down, you can get the feel for it. And so a bunch of us just went straight for the bunny slopes right when we got there. Um, so this being my first time, I wanted to spend a little extra time there and learn like how you're supposed to turn on the skis, how you're supposed to stop because that's important when you're skiing. And so I spent probably like an hour at the bunny slopes and by that time, everyone had already gone. They were gone off to, to the bigger hills to go uh, have fun and I was the last one at the bunny slopes just learning how to do uh, all, all the, everything that I need to do in order to ski successfully. So by the time I was finished and felt confident enough to go ski on one of the big slopes, I had no idea where I was supposed to go. They had all left me and I was just kind of left to figure out, okay, I don't know where everyone went. I don't know what's like the next easiest. I wasn't sure if it went like in increments where you're supposed to start with this one and then just keep working your way up. Or I just thought maybe they're just all the same and you can just go down any one of them. So I found this one, and I thought, okay, this one looks okay. And uh, the picture of the two black diamonds on it looked like it was okay as well. I just thought, okay, a double black diamond, I mean, surely that wouldn't mean anything like ominous. So I just decided that's what I'm gonna, that's what I'm gonna do. That, that looks like I can do that pretty easy. It looks like it's just a straight shot down, no, tur- no turns or anything like that. And so I got on the, on the big, the lift, and um, I just took it to the top, and I'm just like, on my own, never been skiing a day in my life, and I just take this, this lift, and it just keeps going, and it just keeps going, and then I, it gets, you know, whenever you're, like, on a ski lift, and then it comes time to, like, get off, like, there's nothing more, like, fearful than getting off the ski lift, so I did my best, I just basically fell off, and then kind of, like, slid a little bit, and then got up so I could go ski, so I, I get to the edge of the slope, and I just looked down. And the slope looked very different from the top than it did from the bottom. Basically, I couldn't see like the, the actual bottom. It was a near straight drop off. And I thought, okay, well, there's only one way down from here. I'm not about to get back on the lift because I will unsuccessfully get back on the lift. So there's no way I'm doing that. There's only one way down from here. I've seen some people take their skis off and just kind of like walk down like kind of sideways. And I just thought, no, no. I came all the way up here. We drove all this way. I paid all this money. I'm going to ski down this slope. And so I, I, I just nudged the edge and it took me a while. Like I just, and I was like, oh, you go ahead, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> No, 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 you go ahead. And, and I just waited for a while, and finally I just thought, I got to do this. And so I just teetered over. And if you've ever seen the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, when Clark Griswold goes on the sled, and he's just like, zoom, this 
sparks are flying. That's basically what happened. I, it was a straight drop. There were times I felt like my body just lifting off the ground. Like the slope was just so steep. And I'm just going down. And I'm thinking while I'm going down, <laughs> this, this isn't so bad. Like I'm just like flying down and I'm thinking, no, I got this. I got this. I can do this. It's just straight down. All I got to do is just stand and the gravity does its job. And so I'm going down. Well, I didn't realize, see, I'm, the way you stop on a bunny slope is different than the way you stop on a double dime, black diamond ski slope, right? So what you do on a bunny slope is you just tilt your skis to- towards each other. You just point the toes towards each other and you stop. Well, if you want to stop on a, like a double black diamond slope, you got to like do that kind of thing. And I couldn't do that. I knew if I attempted that, there'd be many broken bones. So I decided I'm going to point my toes towards each other. So I'm going down this thing. And I'm just like, going down the slope. And I, I get to this point where I just, I cross the skis. And that's like the big no-no. And from that point on, I became a human snowball. It's just down the slope and skis are flying my poles are flying i literally had to climb back up to go get my poles like it just it was bad news it was bad news but i was convinced i had to do this i wasn't going to ask anyone for help i was going to just take it on myself and i was going to handle this thing and i didn't show a lot of wisdom in this decision and i actually have scars literally i have scars to prove this because it didn't end so well for me so i get down to the bottom i'm just like I'm never doing that slope again. I hate that slope. I learned my lesson that the double black diamonds are just basically mean instant death when you go down them. So if you've never been skiing, don't do that your first time. So I, I learned some wisdom, right? I learned that I didn't have wisdom to begin with. And I learned that wisdom would have been to ask someone for some help. Wisdom would have been to stop and ask someone, hey, where should I go because I'm really new to this. But this pride inside of me wouldn't allow me to ask for wisdom. The pride inside of me said, I'm going to do this. I can handle this. I don't need anybody's help. And from that decision on, it was all just clumsy falling and and pain until I reached the bottom of the slope. Right? Let me give you a quick definition for wisdom. All right? It's properly acting on knowledge and insight. It's really nothing more fancy than that. It's, It's properly acting on knowledge and insight. So my question is, where do I get this wisdom? How do I know how to properly act on knowledge and insight? Because sometimes I feel like I've got knowledge. Sometimes I feel like I have the insight, but I still don't know how to act on it. I still don't know what to do. And so my question is, where do we get this wisdom? How do I know how to properly act on the wisdom and the insight? And what I've learned is it doesn't, wisdom doesn't come from books. Wisdom doesn't, because that's just knowledge and insight. So wisdom doesn't come from books. What I've also learned is wisdom doesn't really come from experience either. Because I know people who've gone through great loss. I know people who've traveled the world. And it just seems like they don't have a whole lot of wisdom. Right? True for people who've read a lot of books. I just think you've read a lot of books. But I'm not hearing a whole lot of wisdom. I don't think it even comes from age. Because I know some old people who don't show a whole lot of wisdom. Right? So there might be some exceptions, and you know, maybe Ralph. But um, what, wisdom doesn't come from these things. Wisdom must come from something. Must come from something different. So here's what I've learned: is wisdom begins with humility. 
Wisdom begins with humility. And the reason I say that is because the Bible does. Proverbs 9.10, for instance, says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so what I mean by the fear of the Lord is, well, well, let me be clear about what humility is not before I tell you what humility is. Because I think it helps to kind of solidify a definition. So humility is not thinking lesser of yourself than you really are. Humility is not saying that you're bad at something when you're really good. It's not, humility is not about denying your strengths and abilities and gifts. That's not humility. Humility isn't thinking you're worse than you really are. And it, it's not about belittling yourself either. Humility is simply having an accurate view of who you are and who God is. Humility is having an accurate view of who you are and who God is. Or really who you are compared to who God is. So when it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it's because when you're fearing the Lord, you're having an accurate view of yourself compared to God. Right? When you have the fear of the Lord, it's because you're viewing this relationship with God in a clear way. And so from that, you can begin to make decisions differently. You use the knowledge and insight of knowing who God is, knowing who I am, and you act accordingly. That's wisdom. So the fear of the Lord, having a clear view of who I am and a clear understanding of who God is, is what begins the wisdom because from that understanding, that knowledge and insight, I can start acting accordingly. I can act appropriately in a healthy way. Now, if humility is the beginning of wisdom, I think we can deduce, one of my favorite words, we can deduce that pride is the end of wisdom. Pride would be the end of wisdom. See, my pride kept me from asking for directions to an easier slope. My pride is what took me up a double black diamond slope on my very first time skiing. Because I wasn't willing to ask, I, wanted to, I just wanted to handle this myself. I was going to be able to take care of myself. So here's how it looks. If you're too busy acting like you have it all together, if you're too busy being Mr. or Miss self-sufficient independence, well, then you're not going to be stopping to ask for wisdom. You're not going to be taking the time to seek for wisdom if you've already got it all figured out. So pride would be the end of wisdom while humility would be the beginning of wisdom. So thankfully, the Bible explains this concept to us in a way that I think we can apply it to our lives. And, and it lays it out So in Proverbs chapter 4. Uh, so we're going to do a quick examination of the entire chapter, Proverbs chapter 4, to learn about this connection between humility and wisdom. If we're a people who want wisdom, well, then we would do well to understand humility first. So Proverbs chapter 4, um, today is August 4th, so if you're doing the Proverbs according to the day of the month, this is where you are, and so I'm going to just help you out a little bit, but this doesn't count as you reading it, you still have to read it yourself. Um, so we're going to dig into Proverbs chapter 4 to learn about this connection between humility and um, wisdom. And obviously I'm probably like the most qualified person to talk about humility, so uh, you guys, um, when we're finished here, you can get my book, Humility and How I Achieved It. And, and you can learn a little bit more about this uh, idea of humility. I'm kidding. 
What we're going to do is we're going to stick to the Bible because obviously it has a lot better things to say than I do. So let's dig in. Proverbs 4. And what we're going to see is three things that humility does to gain wisdom. Three things humility does to gain wisdom. All right. So let's look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 9 to begin. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. And be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whenever you get Get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. So keep in mind when we read this chapter and really when we read the Bible, we're reading it in order to grow our relationship with God. We're not reading Proverbs so that we can get more wisdom. We're not reading Proverbs so that we can get more knowledge or insight. We're reading Proverbs so we can know Jesus better and have a deeper relationship with him. That's the point of the Bible. That's its role in our lives is to draw us closer to Jesus. So when we read this chapter, the proper way for us to be reading this is to be looking for Jesus in this. To be looking for what he values, what his character is, who he is, and how we can have a better relationship with him. So when we look at the advice that's given, what we find is what the advice giver values. When we look at the advice that's given, what we find is what the advice giver values. He's not just talking about something he doesn't care about. He deeply cares about this issue of wisdom. But additionally, what we find when we read about the advice that's given, is we also read about what we lack. If we weren't lacking this, there'd be no reason for this advice to be given, right? And so we learn two things. In any relationship, you need to know two people, right? You need to know the person you're having a relationship with, but you also need to know yourself. It helps to have some self-awareness and some self-knowledge in a relationship so you know why you're reacting the way you react. So in this, we're not even just seeing who Jesus is, but we also get a better understanding of who we are, specifically what we're lacking. And that's the first step of what humility does to gain wisdom. The first step is humility acknowledges what you lack. That's what humility does to gain wisdom. It acknowledges what you lack. So in this passage, it would be wisdom. We lack wisdom. But we're also seeing what the advice giver values. So when you read, the, when you read through this, you're going to see, you're going to hear words. When he says, hear or attend to, forsake not, retain, keep, get, forget it not, forsake it not, love it. The principal thing, it says, exalt her. Exalt this wisdom. This is what the advice giver is saying. This is how we should treat wisdom. Forsake it not. Get it. Pursue it. Chase it. Exalt it. Love it. 
So we get this pretty clear idea of what God values according to the advice he's giving us. It's wisdom. I think, uh, I think Solomon had that figured out. Remember in Sunday school this morning, it's a beautiful thing. Like I, didn't, I really didn't plan this. I, I chose, let's go with Proverbs 4 because it was the day of the month that we were in. But it just matched perfectly with the Sunday school lesson. Today of Solomon asking for wisdom. He sought after wisdom. God gave him a wish. You can ask for anything in the world. You know what I would have asked for? Ten more wishes. <laughs> he didn't. He asked for wisdom. He, he asked for anyone. I mean, come on. Ten more wishes, God. Like, that, that's valid. But he asked for wisdom. This is, what, this is what he valued. That was the principal thing. He exalted wisdom. He loved wisdom. He pursued it and chased after it. And God granted it because God values wisdom too. And God loves wisdom too. But that's what, that's God in this relationship. On our end, we get this stark picture that wisdom is something that we lack. This is one of those things that we don't have a complete grip on. The Bible says that Solomon was like the wisest guy. No one had been as wise as him before or after him. Except for Jesus, by the way. If you read in Matthew, I think 15, it says Jesus was wiser than Solomon. But other than Jesus and Solomon... We haven't achieved this wisdom. It's something that we lack. And the truth is, that's exactly what humility acknowledges in order to get wisdom. Your first step towards wisdom is acknowledging what you lack. And it's not just about lacking wisdom, by the way. This is about acknowledging your lack of anything. This is about acknowledging your lack of relationship. It's about acknowledging your lack of, of uh, self-awareness. It's acknowledging your lack of truth being spoken into your life on a regular basis. It's acknowledging your lack of anything, and that is the first step towards wisdom. I'm talking, listen, I'm talking about finally admitting that you are needy. That's a good thing. I want you to be a needy human being. God wants you to be a needy human being. He wants you to admit your lack. He wants you to acknowledge that you don't have it all together. That you aren't Mr. or Miss self-sufficient independence. He wants you to finally come to the realization that you're just like the other 8 billion human beings on this planet. And we're all broken. None of us have this together. And we're all lacking a lot. We all have a need that only he can meet. So listen, beware of pretending you have it all together. Because if the, if the humility to acknowledge what you lack is the beginning of wisdom, then the pride of pretending you don't have any needs would be the end of wisdom. It ended before it ever began. Coming in, and listen, I, I feel like this is a real problem amongst Christians because there's kind of like this expectation that, oh, Jesus fixed me up, he cleaned me up, and now he's given me everything I need. The problem is, we're still broken humans on a broken planet. We're not complete. We have needs, we lack. And it's a good thing to acknowledge our neediness because that's where wisdom is begins. So acknowledge your lack and take that first step towards wisdom. The second thing humility does 
to attain wisdom, it confesses your sin. Humility confesses your sin. Let's look at verses 10 through 19. Hear my son and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked. And do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of righteousness is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness, and they do not know over what they stumble. This passage right here gives us this contrast. It tells us there's two paths. That's it. path of righteousness and the path of wickedness. And the way he defines the path of righteousness, he uses the analogy of light. That it shines brighter and brighter. This path leads to full day. Like I'm a sun sneezer. Whenever I walk outside and it's bright, I sneeze. Like, like we're talking midday, sneezing in the sunlight kind of brightness. Whereas the path of wickedness is the path of darkness. And it leads to darker and darker darkness. I've often wondered. I, I, I never really understood why the Bible uses light and dark so much in scripture like it's this analogy that the bible refers to often and i'm kind of like you know i kind of like dark when i'm trying to sleep and i kind of like you know like there are times when darkness is appropriate i like the room to be dark when i'm watching a movie like there are times when it's nice to have a dark room so why does the bible always refer to darkness as like this path of wickedness and why is light always get to be the good guy right there are times i don't want light like when i'm trying to sleep or watch a movie Right, So I, I didn't really understand the light and the dark analogy um, probably until maybe the last five years. And I've gotten a little bit more understanding. Here's what it means. To live in the light means to live in regular, rigorous confession. To live in the light is to live in regular, rigorous confession. To live in the dark means to live in hiding. Remember as a kid, when you were playing hide-and-seek, it was always so much better in the dark, right? Like, hide-and-seek in the dark was as good as it gets. Trying to play hide-and-seek in the middle of the day, it just doesn't, it's not as good. It's just not as good. I remember the best game of hide-and-seek I ever played was in a cabin in the middle of the woods. We had this, well, I went and stayed with my friends at, like, their, their grandparents' cabin. It was, like, this two-story cabin. And it had a basement in it, and, and it was in the middle of these woods, so like the, the canopy of the trees were over it. And so at night, when we turned out all the lights, it was pitch black in the cabin. And we played hide-and-seek. So it was literally playing by feel, like you couldn't see where you're going. So you just felt your way as the seeker to find, which is terrifying when you're in a cabin that you have no idea. And you had previously seen like five banana spiders just crawling on the wall. So like it's terrifying when you... But it was the best game of hide-and-seek. Do you know why? Because it's easier to hide in the dark. It's easier to hide in the dark. You can't hide in the light. 
It doesn't work that way. So when this is what the Proverbs is saying is, is the path of wickedness is about hiding. Hiding your sins, hiding your true self, hiding your lack, hiding your need. And the life, the path of righteousness, this, this path of light is the path of rigorous confession. And by the way, I'm not just talking about confessing to God. It's not just about the time in our service that we've programmed so that we can confess to God. I'm talking about confessing to your brothers and sisters. I'm talking about confessing to people that you can trust. Like telling another human being about those dark places in your heart so you can bring light. So you can live in the light. Listen, our church... I think would do well to create a culture of confession, not just to God, but to one another. I believe there should be at least one other human living on planet Earth who knows your deepest secret. That's terrifying. There's a reason it's the deepest secret, right? But I believe it. I believe that is what it means to walk in the light. That's what it means to live in the light. And I just have this fear in churches in America that there are Christians who go to church two or three times a week. I mean, they post all the Christian posts on Facebook, right? They, they volunteer to pray whenever they're in Sunday school and they ask for someone to pray and no one's volunteering. And so they volunteer. Like, there are these Christians who do all these good things, but they're living in the dark. Because they're not confessing. And they can't figure out why when they do all these good things, they still feel like a crummy Christian. They, they can't figure out, like, I, well, I do all these things. I'm going to church. I'm even reading my Bible. I'm talking to people. And they can't figure out why they still feel like they're missing something about the Christian life. It's because they're living in the dark. They're not confessing to other human beings. That's your second step to wisdom. Acknowledge your lack. But wisdom, humility on its path to wisdom, acknowledges and admits and confesses the sin. So the wisdom of Jesus says we are children of the light, so walk in the light, walk in confession. The wisdom of the proverb we just read says that the path of righteousness leads to increasing brightness. So listen to this. It's not just that I confess one time. It actually says that the path leads to brighter and brighter light until it's in full day. So we're talking about deeper and deeper confession. We're talking about a regular confession. So when we peel back a layer and shine a light on it, then we realize we can peel back that layer and shine a light on the next layer because you're never really done confessing. Because we're still incomplete, broken human beings, right? So we continue to peel back the layer so we can shine the light on it and confess it to someone else. Not so they can fix it, but just the act of confession itself is a step towards wisdom. And it's scary, I know, but it's what humility does on its path to wisdom. The third step that humility takes on its way to wisdom Humility returns to the source of wisdom daily. It returns to the source of wisdom daily. Look at verses 20 through 27. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. 
Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. We heard that last week. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Why all this laser focus? Why is the Father here so driving in the fact that you have to be disciplined in this? That you have to constantly be aware of the path you're choosing? Why is he saying this? Probably because we lack wisdom. Probably because he knows about human nature. He knows that we are all the same when it comes to our depravity and that we are all prone to wander. The Father in this passage knows that. But he also knows that we have this thing called Christian liberty. Now I'm introducing this thought close to the end, so let me explain it. When Christ came, he didn't come to disband the law. He came to fulfill the law. And in fulfilling it, he actually gave us a new law. It's this law of love. Or we can call it Christian liberty. But because we are people who lack wisdom, we usually get this wrong in one of two ways. We get this idea of the law and the new law and Christian liberty. We get it wrong in in, in a couple different ways. One, we go to this extreme of legalism. And legalism is basically saying, I'm going to put myself back under a law, some law. It doesn't even have to be the law of the Bible. It's just a law. Like when I, when I establish these rules, I'm going to abide by this because I believe that this law that we've created is what the Christian life is supposed to be about. And this is what legalism does. I'm going to put myself back under some, some law. But then there's this other extreme, and we can call this license. And this license is saying, I'm not under any law. I'm free to decide for myself what's right and wrong. I'm free to do whatever I would like. I have no law on me. And that would be the extreme of license. What the Bible teaches is liberty. Which means I'm under a new law. This law of love, this law of grace, this law of Christ. So when I I find myself in this place of liberty... Which, by the way, the law is to love others as, as Jesus has loved us. Remember when, when, when they asked Jesus, hey, what is the two greatest commandments? He said, love God, love others. But a little later in the scripture, he finally just gives us one commandment. One command I give you, that you would love one another as I have loved you. That's it. Do that, and you'll fulfill all the law over here. And you'll be able to enjoy life fully and love freely if you just do this thing. This is the law. This is it. This is the new law of Christ. So by giving us this new law, he gave us an incredible liberty that isn't a burden, right? We're free from the burden of what the law was before, and we're in this new thing, right? And if this is the liberty that we've been given, then we need wisdom. If this is what Christ has given to us, This really only works with wisdom. Liberty requires wisdom. You want to live a full life? 
You want to love freely. You want to enjoy your liberty. You're going to need wisdom. And this wisdom comes from only one place. The Father. The wisdom that we need to embrace our Christian liberty comes from one place, and that is the Father. If you, if you caught it throughout this whole chapter, Proverbs 4, it was written from the perspective of a father to a son. And all throughout it, the father is saying, son, listen, I'm giving you wisdom. Don't forget this. You need this. I'm giving you words of life here. Embrace it. Guard it. Love it. Exalt it. This is what the father is saying to the son. And just look at the beauty of this. Just look at how all this wraps together, okay? Our liberty in this new law of love requires wisdom. Wisdom comes from one place, the Father, and it all begins with the humble understanding of who we are compared to who God is. It all wraps up basically into this, that that God in His grace has designed the entire Christian life. He's designed your life to function in only one way. In a relationship with Him. He created this world. He created this universe and the laws in it to all draw you to Him. So that you can't live fully. You can't love freely unless you're in relationship with Him. It all comes back to the relationship with Him. He is the source of wisdom and this wisdom can be accessed by a humble understanding of who we are and who he is. So may we find the grace in this church to acknowledge our need, to confess our sins to one another, and to return constantly to the source of wisdom, a relationship with Jesus Christ. For then we are able to love freely and live fully in our Christian liberty. That's your path to wisdom.